front of everybody. Everybody good this morning? Welcome. Welcome. Happy Easter. Um, I just want to just kind of reiterate what Eric just said, that today um, is the day that Christians celebrate the central confession of our faith. And if we're not careful, we can kind of become numb to this, right? I'm not sure if you're like me, but I have a family, I have a, a job, I have all these things on my to-do list, and I go through those every week. Um, some of you may be uh, coming here on this Easter Sunday because this is what you do every year, right? Your spouse asks, asks you to come to church every week, but you'll come on Easter and Christmas. I'm not sure that's you. That's you. Great. I'm glad you're here. But there's something to be said about everything we've said already to this point this morning about the resurrection, about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, being in the grave, and then raising from the dead, rising again from the dead. Amazing stuff if you think about it. My heart today is that we would not let ourselves become numb to this. There's a, there has to be a response, a response, right? And so today's super special for those of us that follow Jesus. And it's, it's going to be a day today that we look back on what, and remember our Savior's sacrifice on the cross, but it's also a day to celebrate the things to come. There's so many things that we could say today. There's so many things. If you've been to church any amount of time, this is probably not your first Easter service, right? You've heard, you've heard this message before. You've heard this message many times on Easter. Jesus rose from the dead. What does that mean for your life? My question for you today as we start this, are you living like the person you claim to worship rose from the dead? It's a big statement. It's a big question. The person you follow, your Lord, are you living your life like he rose and defeated the grave? Because we're called to do that, right? The resurrection changes everything, man. Easter is a time where the gospel is on display like few other times throughout the year. And my heart today is that we would understand that and celebrate that together and be um, one church gathering around the throne of Jesus and worshiping him for what he's done on the cross. No matter what, and this is my heart today, this is what I want you to see, is no matter what you walked in here with, I, I'm not crazy enough to understand. I know that there's people, even believers, followers of Jesus, who walked in here with a very heavy weight on their shoulders, right? You may have fallen into sin, you may have fallen into just depression, or you're just going through the motions and you're numb. Jesus wants to awaken your heart to who he is and what he's done and what he's calling you to become because of what he's done. That's what he's calling you to do today. My heart today is that we would not leave here the same way we walked in here. And I've heard a pastor say that in my entire life, but there's this, there's this response that we're called to have to the resurrection. So that's my heart this morning. And so what I want you to see, though, is there's many people, even Christians, there's people in here that are not saved. I know that. My heart today is that you would meet Jesus and come to faith in Christ. But what I want you to see is that the center of our faith, Christianity, is not some new moral code or some new perspective on life, but an empty tomb that literally changes everything. It's not do better, it's come and be made new, right? Moral, moral righteousness is not the way back to God, okay? Moral righteousness is not the way back to God. If I'm good enough, God will accept me. If I do enough, God will reward me because that's what every religion in the world teaches. And this is what sets our faith in Jesus apart from every other religion on the planet. Religion creates this appeal of, of moral self-reform. Anybody ever sinned before in here? Well, just me. Okay, we'll just do that this morning. So whenever I sin, you know, whenever I fall into sin or I've, 
I've sinned before in my life. My natural tendency is, well, I can't go to God now and ask for forgiveness. I need to, I need to go at least four, four days before I start having a relationship with God again. I got I to do better. I got to show him that I'm good, right? I got to do better. But that's religion. It, religion says I can be good, God will be impressed with my goodness, and then religion will help me be good and better. And we, we frown on that, but we go back to that all the time. And people have been doing that from the beginning of time, relying on religion. But listen, guys, Jesus did not come to fulfill the promises of Scripture that we've read about for the last 13 weeks in John so that you and I could be better versions of ourselves and be good. Right? Jesus came not to make you good, but to make you alive in Him to make you a new creation. He came and lived a life that you were meant to live because you couldn't live it because of your sin and perfect submission to the Father. He died a death on the cross that your sins deserve, that you deserve to die because of your sins so that you can have access to all the things that only he deserves. And that's called inheritance. In Christ, you have an inheritance that can never spoil or fade. We'll look at that this morning in First Peter. So today on Easter, we're going to celebrate the resurrection because the resurrection proves to us that Jesus is who he says he is and that Jesus didn't come to make you better, but he came to make you alive because Ephesians 2, Paul tells us that before we meet Christ, guess what? We're dead in our sins. We're not drifting in the ocean, need a life raft to save us. No, we're dead face down, blue lip. We're dead in our sins and we need a savior to save us. Our heart today is that you would meet Jesus. So if you're wondering what Easter is all about or what the gospel is all about, the resurrection is at the center of the gospel. And that's what we're celebrating today. So let's pray. And as I pray, let's, let's get our hearts right before the Lord this morning. As I'm praying, a great prayer for you to pray might be, God, show me my heart. God, show me the error in my heart. God, convict me of sin. Convict me, convict me of where I've gone astray and help me come back. That's a prayer he'll answer, I promise. Maybe somebody's prayer needs to be, God, humble my heart this morning. I've been arrogant. I've been prideful. Let me pray for you as we get going. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We praise you for what you've done on the cross. We praise you for what you've done in the gospel. God, I pray that you would work in and through this, this, this church. God, that you would work in our hearts. Make us like you. God, I pray for the word today. It will be preached with humility. God, that I would be forgotten, God, and you would be glorified. Father, I pray that you would be honored in everything that's said and done. God, that you would just pierce our hearts, God, with the truth. God, that we would be convicted to the core. God, that we would respond to the gospel and not just hear. God, because we know that you've called us to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. God, soften our hearts. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I like to do some things in sermons to kind of get us thinking on the same wavelength. Y'all know this if you've been here any amount of time. I like to kind of bring you in a little bit, right? I'm not a pastor who just wants to talk to you and you listen. I want to like have some, some dialogue, right? Um, so if, if that's not you this morning, you're going to be here for, it's going to be a long day for you. So, um, so who remembers their first day of school ever, right? Who remembers their first job? How about that? Anybody ever? Okay, remember your first job. First day of school might be kind of far. Some of you might struggle with this. Anybody remember their first date? First date, awkward, yeah. First date, it's awkward, right? Yeah. How about your first kiss? None of you middle schoolers raise your hand. Your mom's sitting right there, okay? You remember that, okay? You remember that? Okay, you remember these things. So many times, many times, right, many of our first in this room are starting points, right? Your first date 
was the starting point for the marriage you're now in, right? Maybe. Maybe you, maybe, yeah. Your first day of school was the starting point to your career, those types of scenarios, right? And so they represent the first steps on a journey, okay? You are all on a journey. We are all on a journey. If you're married, the date, the first date that you went on with your now wife was a start of a journey, right? Um, some of you are like, that's a long journey, but you're, you were there, right? It was the starting point for a relationship. That first day of school was the starting point for the career that you're now in. If, you're a, if you have children, your, your parenting had a starting point, right? I, I, I talk to my wife. We have twins, twin four-year-olds. I tell her all the time, and some of, our, some of our other friends are having babies right now, and I'm like, I don't remember that. I don't remember doing this. I was like, I, my mind must be blacked out from the things we dealt with, right? It's like, man, I don't want to ever go back there again, right? That starting point, we had a starting point. Maybe you had a starting point, right? And so, but here's something that you may not have considered before is our faith, your faith, has a starting point as well. Your faith has a starting point, a baseline for belief, a baseline for belief. But, but for many of us, the starting point of our faith was what our parents told us was true. I remember my dad and my mom going or sitting around the dinner table, sharing their faith about Jesus, telling me how I should believe and what I should do and not say this, but say this. And that was my parents' faith being instilled in me. Now, there was a point where I had to, it had to become personal. I had to have my own faith. This morning, you have to discern where you may be. Some of us, it may have been what a priest said. Some of us may have been what the Bible said. Some of it may have been what a Sunday school teacher said. My hero in the faith, you heard from him this morning, Billy Graham. He said, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. That's it. I, I, every, word of this, every word of this book is true. This is where my faith is strengthened. But all of us, all of us know that, and you know this too, that it, it, that, that is rarely good enough in a post-Christian cultural worldview, right? The Bible says it, so I believe it. That's not good enough for a lot of people in our culture. Whether our culture values science and reason over faith, believe it or not, listen to this, believe it or not, the Apostle Paul seemed to have the same questions. Excuse me, the Apostle Peter had the same questions. We're going to see this today. If you want to turn your Bibles to John chapter 20, we're going to be continuing in a series called Come and See this morning. Um, but we're going to be looking at John 20. This is just where we're at in our, in our series. It's like you must have planned that. Well, we did plan that. So it's great. Um, but the Apostle Peter seemed to have the same doubts and the same questions, you know, but he had always been, Paul had, or Peter had always been a trusting guy. He was always like that faithful dog that you have. He was, yes, 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 I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm following you, Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill your, your opposers. I'm going to walk on the water with you. I'm going to say all the dumb things, right? He, he, was the, he was going after Christ, but, and he had been the, one of the, the first ones to sign up to follow Jesus. And he took Jesus at his word and he even recruited a bunch of other people to follow Jesus. But then Jesus was put to trial and killed. Last week we read this, right? So what happened to, to Peter's faith whenever, Je whenever Jesus was killed? And everything in Peter's world came crashing down. Guys, Jesus wasn't supposed to die in Peter's worldview. He was supposed to come conquer Rome and, and Peter was going to sit right next to him and rule over Rome and get back at what Rome had done to the, to the Israel, to, to the Israeli people. And so he was supposed to save the world. And how could God let this happen? How could God let Jesus die? And if Jesus was so loving and so in control, why had he left Peter and the other disciples alone by themselves and all this mess? 
And it's easier for us to answer these questions now because we have the Bible and we have teachers and things like that. But Peter didn't have the context of knowing what we know, right? Peter's struggle of faith got so bad that he even outright denied Jesus three times. I don't know, I don't know the man. I don't know him. I literally saw you cut off a guy's ear. It wasn't me. I don't know the guy. Three times he denied Jesus, and he had followed Jesus so passionately, but everything changed for him at the empty tomb. So my, my question this morning on starting points is, has your life changed in response to the resurrection? I'm not asking you if your life has changed in response to you having a new moral code. You're a nice guy. Jesus is going to accept my good deeds. That is false. My question is, do you know Jesus the one who rose from the dead. Do you have a relationship with him this morning? Because if you do not, you would not seek him in eternity. My hope this morning is that you would come to know him this morning. And let's read this this morning together. We're going to look at verse 10 verses of John 20. We're going to look at the life of Peter. And there's some pretty funny stuff here, so let's have a, let's have a good time with this, okay? So on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while, he was, while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. I love how John refers to himself. I feel like there's to be some, some friend, uh, the other disciple, right? This is going to get better and better. So the one who Jesus loved, like, John, come on, bro. And he said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. Why would you put that in there? You know what I'm saying? It's like, are you so arrogant that you're going to put in the Bible that you outran somebody to the tomb? It's like my son, I beat you, I beat you, right? And so, me and my son race a lot, and he always wins. <laughs> Verse 5, stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. The wrapping had been on his head and was not lying with the linen clothes, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, saw, and, and believed. For they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. So Peter walked into this empty tomb. He walked into this empty tomb discouraged, defeated, a doubter. But what happened when he saw a tomb that should have had a body in it but didn't? What happened to his faith? He walked out as one of the most important leaders in the church. You're going to see this point on, the disciples are going to look to Peter to lead them. And so what we're going to see, Peter didn't understand everything quite yet. It doesn't matter if you understand everything quite yet. John 20 verse 9 says that they did not understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. So he didn't have the Holy Spirit yet to give him the insight and the wisdom to discern what was happening. But what had changed him? What changed him? It wasn't some new revelation into Jesus' teaching. It wasn't like he walked in the tombs like, yes, I understand what he's saying now. That's not what happened. And no, he came face to face with a grave that should have had a body in it but didn't. And so today I want to put you and me in Peter's shoes for a minute because many of us are like Peter. If you're like me, you say a lot of things that you shouldn't say. You do a lot of things you shouldn't do. You kind of you're like, you know, you're stubborn, right? Anybody stubborn? Yeah. Right? Maybe like Peter, you feel like that God has disappointed you. 
Anybody ever been disappointed with God? God, you said this, but you, this is what I'm seeing right now. You say this in Scripture, but you haven't done it for me yet. I've been praying for 20 years that my husband would change or my kid would get saved or you would take away this addiction, but you hadn't done it yet, Lord. Anybody ever prayed that? In your heart. I know, you, don't, you might not say it out loud, but in your heart. That's normal. It's a normal human experience. Or maybe you feel like you've disappointed God through your sin or your doubt. Maybe you live a life in such condemnation because of something you've done in your past. Something you've done to your husband, your wife, or your children. Something you've done a long time ago that you should have forgiven yourself long before now, but Jesus has already forgiven you and saying, hey man, come on, it's time to get up and go. Maybe that's you this morning. Peter had denied Jesus so many times that he felt like their relationship was too far gone. Could you imagine being Peter in the middle of all those people, Jesus had just got done telling them that in chapter 17 that you, praying for these people that God would use them, bring them unity, and God would use them to reach the world. The next thing you see is Peter in the garden or Peter in the, in the courtyard. I don't, I don't know Jesus. <laughs> I don't know that guy. Right. I don't know him. Well, today I'm, I want to let Peter kind of tell you some stories about who Jesus was. I want to let him explain to you the implications of that empty tomb that he walked in that Easter morning. Because I want to tell you right now that parts of the church have become so numb to the realness of the resurrection. Because if you get real with yourself for a minute, can you understand what you believe? If you say, hey, I'm a Christian, what you're believing is a man was indwelt by the king of kings, God himself. He walked around on the earth. He was born of a virgin, right? Everybody, everybody good with that? Right? He was born of a virgin. He came and walked and lived a perfect life. Never sinned. Then he was crucified. Then he was dead. He was put in a tomb. And then he rose from the dead. Do you really believe that? Good. Because it's true. But my, I want you to wrestle with your faith deep down. Do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Can you put yourself there that morning? Because that numbness that you feel sometimes as you walk into church is just going through the motions. It's because it is a faith issue. And we need to bring ourselves to this tomb this morning to see the empty tomb. Because Peter's life changed because of his realization of the resurrection. And I want to go through three really fast things about this. About understand what the resurrection meant that changed the course of Peter's life. The resurrection changed the course of Peter's life. The first thing that we see that what this meant for Peter, it meant for Peter that Jesus was who he had claimed to be. That's what the resurrection, that's the first thing. But listen, Peter knew, Peter knew, he, he'd seen Jesus walk on water. He'd seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He'd seen Jesus heal the sick. But now, Jesus rising from the dead, that changes things a little bit. Walking on water was amazing. The healing the sick was amazing. Rising from the dead is another level of stuff. Right? That's different. The resurrection didn't make Jesus the Son of God, but it proved that Jesus was the Son of God. Okay? I want you to see that this morning. Jesus, if Jesus rose from the dead, then Jesus was who he claimed to be. And regardless of how it contradicted Peter's reality. Anybody ever had doubts in here before? Anybody want to be real this morning and say, you're doubted your faith? Yeah, I've doubted my faith before. While I was preaching before. While I was a pastor. I doubted it. And I'm going to tell you this morning, 
That's okay. That's okay. Because doubting is not rejecting. In Acts 4, look, Peter's reality was that he walked into a tomb that should have had a body and it didn't. You cannot argue with that. It's like, well, you know, maybe somebody took Jesus. Maybe somebody did this. Maybe somebody did that. Maybe this happened. Maybe. You cannot argue with a, a, an empty tomb. So in Acts 4, Peter gets into a, a really heated argument with the Pharisees. What we see, there was no, the Pharisees were saying, there's no way that Jesus could have be the Messiah because X, Y, Z. He was, they were trying to give Peter all these things, and Peter was just a poor fisherman, right? The Pharisees were religious leaders. Well, Acts 4, 19 and 20, we see Peter coming into this place, and they were arguing, and Peter answered them. What did they say? He says, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide that. But we are unable to stop seeking about what? What we have seen and what we've heard. So this morning, as we read scripture, I'm praying, I prayed all week that we would read this with fresh eyes and a fresh heart. And that we would come to the resurrection and ask ourselves, have we seen and heard the gospel in a way that God reveals himself for who he is and what he's done? In other words, what Peter is saying, he's saying, look guys, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm smarter than you, but I know what I saw. And no offense to you, his coming back to life, his coming back from the dead trumps your religious views. Right? Right? That, that, that's better. So let me ask you a little, do a little thought experiment this morning. Take whatever objective that you have for faith in Jesus. Take whatever objective that you have for faith in Jesus. There may, well, maybe it's, there's so many religions. It can't, all religions are the, are the right religion. No, maybe it's, there's too much pain and suffering in the world. Maybe um, the Bible says homosexuality is wrong. Maybe oh, I don't agree with all these things. Whatever objection that you have to your faith, and for a second, suppose that you had been the first one to the tomb. Would you be humble enough to change your worldview? Would you be humble enough to change your worldview? Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's where some people jump ship and say, ah, that's the problem. I can't go back to the tomb. Can't see it for myself. Right? But even today, guys, the evidence for the resurrection is strong enough to reach a conclusion about it. You see, the breakdown is not in the sufficiency, the insufficiency of the evidence but it's the fear, the pride, and the stubbornness that keeps us from considering it on its own terms. The fear, the pride, and the stubbornness that keeps us from considering it on its own evidence. And one or two things usually happen. You may find, I think you will find yourself in one of these two things. The first thing is you refuse to even consider the evidence until God himself, God explains himself. You ever had that prayer? God, you explain yourself to me? Do you know how prideful that is? The creator of all things. The one who spoke life into existence, the planet into orbit, the stars and the sky. God, you need to explain yourself to me. I'm like, humble ourselves before the Lord. Because we think that, you know, if, we, if you refuse to consider the possibility that there's a God who runs a universe whose ways and understanding is higher than yours. 
You understand? God's ways are higher than our ways. God's understanding is far out surpasses ours. We have to humble ourselves. The second thing, or you'll be prideful, or you'll humble yourself before God and say, okay, God, I'll consider the evidence on its own terms, realizing that you may have ways that are beyond my ways, and you may have ways of doing things that I might not be able to comprehend yet, but I trust that you're a good God. I trust that you love me. I trust that the cross meant love and not death, and I trust that you came back from the grave and you love me enough to save me. Do we have that type of humility in our hearts this morning? Because we know that faith is not having all the answers right now. Faith is not having all the answers right now. It's, the, it's wrestling with the unexplainable, knowing that the unexplainable has an explanation on the basis of the resurrection. Are you willing, in light of the resurrection, to doubt your doubts? Ask yourself that this morning. There's a guy that once said that, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that no one would question it except for two things. First, it's a really unusual event. And two, if you believe that it happened, you must change how you live. And so that's the tension that Christians find themselves in today. If you believe the resurrection happened and your life hasn't been changed because of it, do you have saving faith? It's a good question to ask yourself this morning. Our lives should change. The second thing we see, Peter, the resurrection, the effect that the resurrection had on Peter, his past didn't define it. Some of you are like, praise God, right? Anybody, just me? Yep. We're fired up that our past did not define us, man. If you saw some, some of my track record, you'd be like, I don't want to come to this church anymore. I've fallen flat on my face many times. I've done all these things, and, but my past does not define my future because of what Jesus has done on the cross and the grave. And on, I don't know about you, but from the outside looking in, as you study the life of Peter, Peter's jacked up, bro. He's messed up. And, and I'm, I'm right here with him, but this dude denied Jesus three times, tried to kill a guy. The guy he cut a guy's ear off in, in the garden. Do you think he was aiming for his ear? I, I ha, I'm such a swordsman that I'm going to, I'm going to precisely cut his ear off. No, he was aiming for his forehead. He was trying to kill the guy. The guy was like, your ear, right? So Jesus, Jesus restored it, right? But this guy was a, he was, he was off, he was, he was crazy. Peter had thought he had messed up everything. Man, I messed up the entire plan. But the resurrection meant that Peter's shortcomings no longer defined him. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us what? A new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Isn't that good news? Can we throw up verse 4 again? We have, sorry, my bad guys. There we go. Nope, 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 nope. First Peter, we got that? There. There we go. All right, cool. So what Jesus has done, he's given us an inheritance kept in heaven for you that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. And can we go back to verse 3 real quick? Okay, cool, cool, cool. So it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us two things, a new birth and a living hope. 
a new birth and a living hope. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You have a new, you're a new creation in Christ. And so there's two things that are important. If in there, there that we, need to, we need to see that these two things should totally change your life. You've been born again into a living hope. Let's start with living hope. Your hope in this life is whatever you believe gains you acceptance before God. If it's your works, then your hope is going to be in your works. And you're going to be depressed a lot because you can't do it. If that's you this morning, there's hope. What do you hope in? What do you put your hope in this morning? Most people believe that God's acceptance of them is based on how good they are or how well they keep the rules of a religion. Don't cheat, steal, kill. Don't, don't, don't cheat on your wife or your husband. Don't lie. Don't do all these things. I've done the Ten Commandments right. The rich young ruler, Lord, I've kept the law, entire law. What must I do now to be saved? Jesus is like, you ain't kept the entire law. But since you said you have, he saw his heart. He saw his heart was attached to his possessions. He says, sell everything you have and follow me. He went away sad because he couldn't let go of his possessions and his things. If you're not willing to let go of everything in your life to follow Christ, you can't follow Christ. And so the reason why this is so hard for Americans is because we like our stuff, we like our relationships, we like control, and we cannot follow Jesus without releasing those things. And so instead of, of coming to terms with that, and coming to submission with that, we put religion in the place of Jesus to make us feel better about ourselves and make the way easier. We move the goalposts a little bit, right? But that's not what the gospel is. My question for you is, that works great until you fail. But then you start wondering how good is good enough. So what scales are you using to determine your goodness? The gospel is that Jesus earned our acceptance on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sins. He lived the life, died the death to, to pay those penalty for our sins. The resurrection is God's declaration. The resurrection is God's declaration that he has accepted Jesus' payment on our behalf. That's the beauty of Easter, man. In the resurrection, God declared that Jesus' payment for us was sufficient. Isn't that great? And now Jesus stands at the throne of God, alive, testifying to that fact. The resurrection is proof that the cross worked. And that's what we celebrate today. Death and sin have and always will be defeated. In Christ, you've been set free. How many times have you heard a pastor say that? But how many of you right now are sitting in your chair right now, living bound up in some bondage? Bondage to sin, bondage to shame, bondage to condemnation, bondage to religion. Some of you don't even want to acknowledge it because it's too uncomfortable to deal with. Because religion has got you nice and tidy, everything looks right and normal on the outside, but on the inside, you're rotting away. And you need Jesus to come set you free this morning. Peter says, I have a living hope kept in heaven for me. It's safe. The living Jesus stands there as my acceptance into heaven. So whenever an accusation is brought against me by the enemy, a reason I should be rejected from God's presence, Jesus says I paid for that. I paid for that. As I stand here today, I'm positive that if I die, I will be in the presence of Jesus because he is my salvation. But most people in our culture believe that all religions teach the same thing. I can assure you that they don't. 
But our hope is not in how well we've lived, but in the hope of the cross in Christ and his resurrection. So thank God in the resurrection I now live. I now have a living hope that is not based on me. Because if it's based on me, guess what happens? Trust. Trust. More than that, what does Peter say? In the resurrection, I'm born again. We saw this in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was like, how am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Jesus is like, aren't you Israel's teacher? You don't understand this, man. Come on. Get, get it together. We see later, last, last week we saw Nicodemus came to faith in Christ. But what this means is that God has spiritually started the process of a new life in me. Anybody ever fallen before in their faith? Sinned? You ever seen a baby start walking? It's pretty messy. If your life is messy, guess what? It's all right. Supposed to be. You're not perfect. I'm a new creation in Christ. The power of the resurrection turned Peter, a denier of Jesus, into Peter of the church later. And that same power is at work in you if you're a Christ follower. Guys, people at Connection Church at every location around this area is filled with people who have stories of a past. Anybody got a past? Filled, some of them are filled with tragedy, tragic mistakes. Some are on drugs. Some were unfaithful to their spouses. Some were, have spent time in jail. Y'all are like, who's that? We do background checks on everybody. Don't worry about us. <laughs> Some were filled with bitterness and, and racism and hate. Some, But God had changed them, not because they were decent people who needed a second chance, but because God raised a dead person to life. Spiritually speaking, um, this morning, there's a story I want to show you. Um, of a guy from our Vidalia location. I want to just show you his story. Let's, let's, let's look at his story, and then we'll come back together in just a few seconds. You know, through all those years of the partying and the drugs, alcohol, the, just the fast lifestyle of running you know, running from life, it never once dawned on me that it would carry me to the depth that it did. Um, growing up in South Georgia, uh, it's about like everybody else's story. From what I could tell, I had a normal childhood. I played every sport that I could that came around. I guess it was, you know, probably around the age of eight that I realized that my dad was an alcoholic. You know, I, I saw things in him over that, those years that I said I would never be like. You know, I can remember times of playing football. One person that was always in the stands was my mom. Uh, she ran every touchdown with me that I ran. And when I got to the age of 16, um, of years of watching my mom put up with a lot, I told her one night it was time for me and her to leave. My parents got a divorce after that. My dad had come and caused a few problems and me and him had really got on the outs and I didn't have any respect for him. Um, I had thought I was grown and had started not listening to my mom. I was 17 years old, it was my senior year of high school. And uh, this whole time, you know, I'd lost respect for my dad and um, 
but my truck, I was having problems with the truck I was driving, and my dad had taught me everything I knew about vehicles. So I went by for him to help me, and, I, and for some reason, I noticed a change in him. He wasn't drunk, he wasn't high, he wasn't anything, and, and he helped me work on my truck that day. And it was a, a man that I, as far as I knew, had never met before. When I was leaving, I said, Daddy, I love you. He said, I love you too, son. And that was the last time I ever spoke to him. I didn't know four days later that I would find him dead. That crushed me. Um, that really crushed me. I shut off from the world after that and thought I knew best for me. Um, I fell into addiction really deep. Didn't know it was addiction at the time. I just knew that alcohol and coke and partying and girls and racing and whatever kept my mind off the pain. This rocked on till I was 36 years old. You know, back right after I found my dad dead, my mom had met a guy, um, which is my stepdad today. They got married about my senior year and reflecting back on it, um, I could see that he was the dad that I'd prayed for my whole life. After finding my dad, I lost all feeling for anyone. Um, it's like I couldn't love anybody. And if it got close to me, I'd do something to self-destruct and push him away. And through some mutual friends, I met Lindsay. Um, and we started dating. And she was not living for the Lord at the time, and I wasn't either. We were both drinking and partying, uh, just enjoying life, thought we were. And after a while of dating, she got pregnant. She quit drinking, quit partying, but I didn't. Uh, and after a while of me continuing to drink and party and this and that, she gave me basically an ultimatum and said either, you know, change or get out. And I chose to get out and run for my responsibilities. So on July 3rd, 2015, I got arrested and carried to jail for uh, DUI and possession. I sent word down to our sheriff, uh, you know, asking him to help me, and he sent word back to me that he had helped me all my life, that this time he was gonna teach me a lesson. The, the only way that I was getting through jail, period, was I, somebody brought me a Bible and an AA book, not knowing it, but at the whole time this was in God's plan. And so I get sent to RSAT. I spent four and a half months in the county jail. And the longer I was in there and the more I sobered up, the more feelings started coming back. Um, the more <laughs> I prayed, I was scared to death. I really was. And I knew I had screwed up with Lindsay. How could this lady ever forgive me? How could my parents ever forgive me? As these feelings started coming back in jail, and as I started getting closer to God, and I started praying, and I started searching, and I started asking God, if you will help me to not be the man that I said I would never, you know, that I would never be, I'm him, and I need your help. Lord, I, you know, whatever your will is, let it be done. And the judge sentenced me to nine and a half more months or set. In total, I was locked up for 14 and a half months. Lindsay was still 
her, she was hurt. I hurt her bad. I found out that she had had a little girl, but my, my daughter was born while I was locked up. And that's something I'll never be able to give back to her. It's something that hurts me today. And that night in jail when I found out my child was born and I wasn't there, um, I promised God if he would help me make me the man he wanted me to be, <laughs> that I'd never turn back to uh, my worldly ways. The sheriff was nice enough to let Lindsay bring, bring her for me to see her. And the first time I got to see her was through the plexiglass window. And I wasn't able to hold her. And she was the sweetest thing I'd ever seen in my life. But that gave me more drive. God gave me that little bit while I was in jail to say this is what you've got to look forward to when you get out. After that, I started writing Lindsay and I started calling her. And Lindsay had started going to Connection Church during this time. God laid it on her heart to forgive me. And it, it was just amazing how God was starting to work in, our in my life and me being locked up. That God kept telling me, I've got you. You know, you keep living for me and I'll take care of the rest. I'd gotten out of jail on August 25th, 2016 and Lindsay and my daughter Adley and my parents were there to pick me up. Um, and walking out of that boot camp that day, I, I could feel God's hand on me and my family. And from that day forward, me and Lindsay started dating. Through a lot of trials, um, I started going to Connection Church. God, Got me and Lindsay in the small group and uh, got us into some counseling with Billy. Through God's grace, God gave me the you know, courage and strength to ask Lindsay to marry me. Through his grace and through him giving her a forgiving heart, she said yes. God gave me and Lindsay a beautiful wedding. We have been blessed beyond belief. Thank God he's a forgiving God. And uh, I thank God today for where he's got me at and where he's carried me and the opportunities he's given me to help other people. Um, I've got with my, with my testimony and with my life, I've been able to help a lot of people um, and will be able to hopefully continue to help other people. You know, and God don't call me to be perfect. He just calls me to be faithful. Man, what a story, right? I mean, I, we have, this is what we're talking about this morning. Peter wasn't perfect, he was faithful, right? And the fact that this man that you just watched was able to be saved and changed into a new person doesn't mean he was perfect after this, but it's a miracle nonetheless. So we need to see a changed heart is a miracle. A changed heart is a miracle this morning. Our heart is to see, man, like, do you feel like you've messed up too far for God to be interested in you or made mistakes that were too severe? This morning you may be here struggling with addictions or, or issues that you don't want to be people to know about. But listen, God breathed life into Jesus' dead body. He breathed love into a murderous Paul. And when you believe, 
He'll breathe life into you too if you'll open your heart to him. I want to tell you something. And the last thing I want you to see, the third thing about Peter, about Justin, about me, about all those in here that are saved, his future was guaranteed. His future was secure. Peter says that through the resurrection, we now have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade in heaven by God himself. God himself is protecting that. Peter is saying that not only is God keeping your inheritance, but he's keeping you. That's good news, man. He's not only protecting what is to come, he's protecting you so that when what is to come has come, you'll be able to receive it and enjoy it forever and ever. That's the beauty of the gospel. And one of the things that we can learn as we get older, as I get older, I see this. Everything fades. Right? Everything spoils. Nothing stays the same. Right? Wealth. If you're rich in this room, it's a facade. It's going to go away. Right? Your money will is fragile. Health. Some of you guys... Some of those guys remember the good old days in high school where I used to hit the home runs and throw those touchdown passes. Now you can barely get out of bed in the morning without groaning, right? It, it fades, loved ones. Some of us in this room may have lost a spouse or a mother or a father or a child. You can't hold on to anything in this life. And the life of faith and unbelief, of faith and unbelief are never more contrasted than when and how a believer and an unbeliever approaches that reality. And that's what we see in Peter's life. I'll show you an example in our time. Um, as I'll show you this as Winston Churchill. And everybody knows who Winston Churchill was. He was the great leader um, in World War II. He says, never give up, never give up, never, right, right, right. And so on his deathbed, one of his quotes, his last words was, I'm convinced that there's no hope. What a drastic change in events from never give up. But if you're a person who doesn't know Jesus in this room or in life, your life has been filled with tragedy. And if your life is filled with tragedy now, guess what? You just have to endure it until you die. There's no hope. Contrast that with Adoniram Judson, the famous missionary. He says, I go with gladness. These are his last words he ever uttered. I go with gladness, the gladness of a boy bounding away from school, running away to school. I feel so strong in Christ. Or William Wilberforce, he says, my affections are so much in heaven that I can leave you without regret. Yet, I do not love you less, but I love God more. Right? Psalms 116.15 says, the death of his faithful ones is valuable in the Lord's sight. What are you going to hope in when death comes? What does a Christian do when life treats them poorly? You go to the resurrection. You go to the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection have the final word. Man, I'm telling you this morning, you preach to yourself that in the resurrection, this life is not your home. The devil and all his demons are liars. This temporary existence is not your future. Right? You are, a, you are loved by the king of kings. You're cherished by the Lord of lords. And he's coming back for you. That's why we take communion. We take communion to remember he's coming back for his church, his bride. Easter means, Easter means God cares for you. Easter means God cares for you. As we close today, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. The resurrection means that he loves you. It means that he keeps his promises. He proved it through not only putting Jesus on a cross for your sin, but also by raising him from the dead, defeating death. 
hear this this morning is that the resurrection is God's promise of what he's making us into and that he'll return to get his church. As we close today, my heart is that you would hear that faith has a starting point. Faith has a starting point, man. Maybe you've been your entire life playing games with church. Went to church with my mom and my dad. Went to church with my wife or my boyfriend, my girlfriend, whatever it may be. For, so that God will love me or so that I can hear some good teaching or so I can check my box off for the year for going to church. Faith has a starting point. My question for you this morning as we close is can you individually, you and me in this room right now, can you point to the starting point of your faith? The resurrection tells us that Jesus is who he says he is. It tells us that my past and your past don't define us. It tells us that if we're in Christ, our future is secure. Right? Could you stand with me for a moment? Stand with me for just a moment as we close. Can you just bow your heads for a moment? The resurrection says that he is making me into something new, and he's coming back for me. The resurrection is a gift to all who will receive it. But you have to receive it. You can't just go through the motions and expect just to be found there on the day. Anyone who can say that Christ is risen on Easter, but my question is this this morning, do you live like Jesus rose from the dead? That is what will show the world that the resurrection is real. Anybody can say happy Easter, Christ is risen, hallelujah. What matters is what you do with the, the fact of the resurrection. In Joshua 18, we see Joshua asking the Israelites, he says, how long will you delay going out to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers gave you? Listen, this morning, Jesus wants to save you. He wants to transform your heart. He wants to use you. He wants to send you out. He wants you to feel the love of a father as a father loves his child. But he wants to transform your heart into the image of a child that he loves to put a new spirit inside of you. And I'm going to tell you again this morning that he doesn't want to make you into a better version of you so you'll stop sinning so much. He wants to make you new. He wants to make you alive. And the problem with the American Christian culture is that it's easy to fit in because we know how to speak the language and how to do the things. My question for you this morning is have you been made new in response to the resurrection? This morning, we want to ask you to do something bold. If you're here this morning, maybe it's your first time in church in a while, we want to ask you to come to faith in Christ. My question this morning is that you've heard this message time and time and time and time again. What happens when you hear the gospel and you don't respond to the gospel is your heart becomes numb. Your spirit becomes numb. Your soul gets kind of numb and you, get, you just kind of lose feeling. I pray this morning that God would wake us up, that we would see him for who he truly is. This morning, if you've come to this place and you've been struggling, 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 never feeling that sense of, acceptance into the kingdom that of the Holy Spirit working in your life, that desire to know God more. If you know that you are still the Lord of your life and not Jesus, but this morning you want to make a decision to follow Christ. Not just to come to church and join a connect group or start giving or serving, but to really truly give your life to the kingdom of God and for God's purposes for your life. The ones he intended for you to do when you were created, when he breathed life into your lungs. The Bible says that God made Jesus his son to be sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. 
What a great exchange. This morning I pray, I've been praying all week that your heart will be soft to hear the message of the gospel because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. Because of Christ and what he's done on the cross and through the resurrection of his body, we're able to walk in victory. We're able to walk free from sin. We're able to walk free from the fear of death. And so this morning, if you, hey, hey, Michael, I need to put my faith in Jesus. I've been playing games with church. I've been playing games with a religion. But this morning, I need to put my faith in Christ. I need to be saved because right now, I don't know if I am. If that's you, every now and I close, every head bowed, God, we're standing to our feet. I just pray that you would just do something bold and say, hey, Michael, that's me. You just lift your hand and say, Michael, that's me this morning. I need Jesus. I need to be saved this morning. Much like Dustin. Just raise your hand. Amen. Anybody else? Lift your hand up high. I can't, I'm going to make sure I see all of you. I see three people. Lift your hands high. pray for us. And so I pray, guys, you just feel, if you feel led to come pray, this altar is open. If you raise your hand, could you lift your hands up so we can see you one more time so we can pray with you? Amen. God, we just love you so much. We thank you for what you've done in this room this morning. We thank you. We praise you for what you've done through the resurrection. God, we thank you and praise you for what it means for our lives. God, I pray that you would just work in this church to the people that you have saved this morning. God, we know that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one person that comes to faith in Christ. Father, we love that, Lord. I pray this morning that we just would just rejoice in all these moments, God, that we would just not allow Easter to be the only time we come and rejoice before you, God, that this will be a celebration every time we come into this place. God, I pray for the heart this morning that is lost. I pray for the heart this morning that is far from you, God. I pray that you would continue to do your work even as we leave this place this morning. God, that your name will be made famous through this church. Your name will be made famous through how we love you and how we honor you. I pray, God, that you would just continue to, to work in the life of, of Connection Church. Thank you, God, but you would continue to work in this community, God. Um, there's just so much that you want to do in this place. I pray that you would use this church to do it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.